Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Uh, We will be on this same passage next week, Lord willing, uh, with a different focus. Uh, This week we'll look at at what it says about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Next week we'll focus a little bit more on Mary and her reception of the message Uh, Before I read this passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning again in the name of Christ Jesus. And we ask that you would give us the same spirit uh, that you gave Luke, uh, that you gave when you inspired these words. And we ask that you would infallibly teach us by them. We pray, Father, that you would draw us unto your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would know him and know him truly. We ask, Father, that we would, by these words, uh, learn repentance from sin, that we would learn to put our confidence and trust in our Savior, and that we would learn obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers, this, these are the words of the Lord, the, gra- the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. We have here in the announcement of Gabriel unto Mary, just as we had with the announcement of Zacharias, unto, the announcement of Gabriel unto Zacharias, uh, the, not just the good news and glad tidings of a birth uh, that would be unexpected, Indeed, with uh, Mary, it would be a quite shocking news, uh, as, as she herself confesses uh, to be a maiden, a virgin, 
uh, that knows not a man. But uh, nevertheless, uh, this is not just a birth announcement, but a description of the work, the office, the vocation, the calling of that child that is born. Uh, That both John the Baptist, the forerunner, and Jesus Christ, the Messiah, uh, would receive even before their birth, even before their conception, their marching orders, uh, their mission, and their task to do in the world. And we saw that with, uh, with John the Baptist, and now this morning we will look uh, primarily uh, at who this child Jesus is to be. Uh, and the focus that we see with the announcement unto Mary, uh, it wasn't just that she who was betrothed, and betrothal worked a little bit different than engagements work now, Uh, The betrothal was all the signing of the marriage contract, the taking of the vows, and all of that was done. Uh, The difference was that the the marriage wasn't consummated until later, uh, generally because this was done in in youth uh, with both parties, and and the fellow was expected to go and and, uh, make his way in the world, and then when he was ready, uh, after the betrothal, he could come at any moment and take her up, and, and they were married. Uh, that was the way it worked. Uh, we remember, or we get the, the firm impression uh, from Matthew 1, that at this time Joseph had not yet decided to do this for Mary, that he had still, and we don't know any of the details here, but uh, he had yet, it was not quite the time to, to go unto his bride to take her up when he discovers that she is with child. Uh, So uh, there is no indication with Mary either that her marriage was imminent. Uh, She she had a a fellow. She didn't have to worry about that. But but there was no indication that there was an imminent marriage. And therefore, her question in verse 34, how can these things be, uh, seeing that I know not a man, seeing that uh, I... I'm not married and don't look to be any time soon. And I certainly am not uh, an uncouth virgin or maiden. Uh, I am faithful and know not. So how is it uh, that I am going to be a child? That was her question. And that is another question we look at, Lord willing, next week. But uh, this child that will be born of her is to be the Christ. That is, the anointed one, the Messiah. Uh, he is to have a role, and in particular, and the emphasis is uh, the, the, uh, of the angel, that he will be the Messiah, that is the fulfillment of the promise unto David, that he would not want a seed to reign, that this would be the fulfillment of uh, the prophet Isaiah, that we saw in, that we read together in 11.1, that a root of the stem of Jesse... Uh, shall sprout up and shall redeem his people, uh, that shall bring the blessing and the uh, return of the captivity of Israel in her sins. He is to be the promised Messiah. Uh, he's a, his name is, shall be called Jesus, and he shall be great. Uh, John the Baptist was said to also be great, uh, but he will be great and shall be called 
the Son of the Highest or the Son of the Most High, that is, the Son of God. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And this is the first thing that we need to know about who Jesus is and what his role is to be. He is the fulfillment of Israel's hope. Israel's hope was tied to the restoration of the throne of David. Uh, this this was, uh, is, is fundamentally in the promise that was given to David himself. If you look in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, the paragraph that begins with verse 12 through 17. Uh, when the days were fulfilled, when thy day shall be fulfilled, and this is the Lord speaking unto David, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, so far, we can see where Solomon and others might view themselves as befitting this, particularly since Solomon built the physical temple. Uh, but that is not merely what is being promised. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. And we see how, from Isaiah 11, that their hopes were tied up in that. Uh, the uh, psalmist promises that he would return to us the sure mercies of David. The Messiah is even named David. If you uh, look in Jeremiah chapter 30, and the promise of Jeremiah as a prophet in the latter days of Jerusalem. Uh, Jeremiah is the prophet that was... Uh, prophesying even as all the hopes were being taken away, as, as different people were being deported from a conquered Jerusalem unto Babylon, as the, the greatest and best and the most hopeful were being taken out of the kingdom, as every day the kingdom was suffering more and more uh, shame and degradation, Jeremiah was preaching. And the word that came to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 30, verse 1, from the Lord, saying, Thus speak, speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days will come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. Note here, Jeremiah was speaking to Judah. Judah was the kingdom that was being torn apart. Israel had already been deported and vanished from the world in, with all intents and purposes by the, kingdom of, uh, by the empire of Assyria 200 plus years before. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling and of fear and not of peace. Ask you now, what ye, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned to paleness? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. 
but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off his neck and will burst thy bonds. And strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel thirty-four twenty-three, I will set up one shepherd over them and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. Ezekiel 37:24 And David my servant shall be king over them and they all shall have one shepherd they all shall walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them So just as the forerunner is to come in the spirit of Elijah and be an Elijah not reborn in a reincarnated sense but Elijah in his mission so the son of David was to be a more glorious David And this was his name. And his reign would have no end. If you turn to Psalm 89. Psalm 89, I'm not going to read the entire. It's 52 verses. Psalm 89 deals with the promise and the glory of the reign of David. Not in the days of David, but after him. But if you look at verses 34 through 37. uh, this This is the great hope. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, as a faithful witness in heaven. to law, peace. This was... Uh, Israel's hope, and this is what is being announced unto Mary, and this is what comes into the world, even as Christ comes into the world, or Jesus, born of the Virgin. And he does so as the Savior, as the bringer of the Lord's salvation. That's, it's not explained here, but the very first thing Mary is to know about this child is that his name shall be Jesus. That the Lord himself picks out this name and very purposefully. Uh, we know this means to, to save. That's what Joshua means. Joshua and Jesus are the same words, one in Greek, one in Hebrew. Uh, both in English. I mean, they sound differently in both languages, but that's what they are. Uh, they, it means the Lord, Jehovah, saves. And he is to be a redeemer. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we have it particularly explained to, to Joseph, uh, the father, well, the husband of Mary, the one to be the foster father of, of Jesus, uh, that thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. So there's a redeemer from sin. And this is, this is his mission. This is what he does. In John chapter 12, uh, Jesus speaks, just as we also got in John chapter 3, uh, that you know, everybody is already under condemnation, and in Jesus uh, is salvation. Jesus cried aloud and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, 1245, and he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. He is the express image of the Father. He is the Father. He's the Son of the Father. He's the Son of God. 
I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him already. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment that I should, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. And whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father saith to me, so I speak. So the salvation wrought by Jesus is the salvation wrought by the Lord. Because he is the Lord. He's the express image of the Lord. He, he's Lord in the flesh. Uh, he is the bringer of salvation. And he does so as conqueror. And we tend to think of, we tend to focus, and not unrightly so, we tend to focus in his work of Redeemer as Christ as priest. Christ as prophet, priest, and king. All of those things he functions as Messiah. Those are anointed officers in the Old Testament, and all of those he brings into himself. As the eternal word, the light of the Father, as the express image of the Father, he declares the Father to us, God to us. As priest, he is not only the one that offers the propitiation, but is the propitiation. That he offers himself and intercedes on our behalf. But all of that he does also as king. That our salvation is not just a moral education. Our salvation is not just making sure that we have all of the legal things taken care of. Our salvation is a conquest. Joshua in the Old Testament was not a priest and he was not really a prophet. What he was, was a conqueror. And Christ comes as a conqueror. Christ comes to deliver his people. Look at simply the Messianic Psalms that speak to this. Uh, look at Psalm 2. And, and what does it reveal about uh, the work of Jesus Christ? He says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth and the rulers set themselves together and take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that is in the Hebrew, against his Messiah, which we might would translate in the Greek, against his Christ, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. But he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then he shall speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill as I am. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This is conquest. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and he perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. But blessed are all they that put their trust in him. It's about allegiance. It's not just allegiance. It's not just his conquest and his kingdom. But it is that. And we don't understand salvation rightly unless we understand that aspect to it. The most quoted portion of the Old Testament in the New Testament is Psalm 110. A psalm of David. And a psalm of conquest. 
The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. The Lord Jehovah shall send the rod of strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thy enemies. The people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. But he shall drink of the brook in the way. And therefore in victory shall he lift up his head. The priesthood is there, certainly. But it is in the context of conquest. Because that's who he is. And that's how he saves us. He is a deliverer. That's the other translation for salvation. A rescuer. One who is, we are, the concept is that we are under bondage. And he comes to break the chains. And set us free. And in that he is the promised Messiah. And the Christ. But he is also. The Son of the Most High. In fact, this is how he has the strength to do what he's called to do. See this, in verse, the first part of verse 32, he should be called the Son of the Highest. And it's picked up after Mary asked her question in verse 35. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And that's the proper translation. Uh, I know the ESV puts, shall be called holy, the son of God. But the Greek is, the holy is not um, masculine, it's, it's neuter. Uh, that holy thing, uh, that holy event that shall happen in her womb, uh, that mass that is there, shall be called the son of God. This is, quite plain, plainly, a proclamation of the virgin birth. Uh, that is one of the fundamentals of our faith. That Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, we have that not just as a sign, not just as something to magnify Christ, not just as one of these things that we're called to believe in and the miracles of the Lord, that this is fundamental to His work. The virgin birth declares Him to be the Son of God, even as He assumes human nature. Without a human father, He has to be the Son of God. Uh, this is a, a light, and, and we will see in chapter 3 when Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus through Mary. Uh, he traces it back to Adam, and then he says of Adam, as he had said you know, constantly, who is the son of this, who is the son of this, who is the son of this, who is the son of Adam, who is the son of God. And so he speaks to his human nature that this is not just, he, he is humanity. He is man in the flesh. He is fully human in all that is essential to humanity. Without the fall, because that is not essential to us. God did not create us sinners. God did not create mankind wicked and, and then have to, to figure out how to, to redeem his erred creation. He created us innocent and we fell into sin. So he's not going to redeem our rebellion, but he's going to redeem us out of our rebellion. And so there's a new humanity. And in that sense, he's the son of God like Adam was the son of God. The beginning of a new humanity, the head of a new covenant, the head of, of a new nation, a kingdom. Not one of nature, but of grace. 
But it also, because of that holiness that is there, because of the origin of who he is, and because also we know from other parts that, uh, that he who is being born and conceived in her is the eternal word of God, the one who is the eternal son of God, the father, uh, shows himself to then by this birth to be bringing in to humanity and the human nature also the divine. It points to his role as one who stands in both worlds, as one who stands in both places, as mediator. Uh, Paul will uh, speak to this uh, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter chapter 2, excuse me, verses 2 and 5, 3 and 5, 5 and 6. Paul says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, that he stands here as both God and man. And he will go on in chapter 3 in the same letter, it's not that far down, uh, to, to speak of the great mystery uh, that is Christ. God was manifested in the flesh. That the virgin birth points to that in a way that a regular birth could not and would not. Uh, not least of which because being a child and direct and ordinary descendant of Adam, he would be involved in Adam's fall. In Adam's fall, we send all. Uh, but he is taken out and separated uh, as, as this new and holy thing that fulfills the, the prophecies of deliverance uh, that we have. Uh, Isaiah, again, chapter 7. Uh, this, is, uh, th- this is a, proph- a prophecy to Ahab, not Ahab of Israel, but Ahab of Judah. Uh, in uh, chapter 7, uh, Judah, standing upon some sort of pretense and human sufficiency, refuses the, the, the sign of the Lord. Verse 13, And he said, Here now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, that is, God with us. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse evil and choose the good. But before the child shall even know these things, uh, to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. The northern kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Syria shall be long gone and historically nothing. And then in chapter 9, again pointing to the Messiah. For unto us, verse 6, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it, establish it with justice and judgment from henceforth and forever, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. This fulfills the, the promise and the prophecy of deliverance uh, that it would be by the arm of the Lord that Israel's redeemed. And so these two things come together. The promises of the, the Messiah, the, the descendant of David, and also the promises that the Lord himself would be the shepherd of Israel are met and united in God in the flesh in Jesus Christ. 
And therefore that holy thing shall be called the Son of God. Note that it shall be called. Jesus does not assert his divinity directly ever. Uh, He speaks things that are clearly heard as an assertion of his divinity. Uh, John chapter uh, 10 verse 31, we have I and the Father am one. And the, the Pharisees took up stones to stone him because they knew that he was making himself equal with God. Because he was equal with God. But that wasn't the subject matter of his preaching. That what Christ did revealed himself to be the Son of God. When Christ said, peace be still to the waters, his disciples trembled in terror. For what manner of man can control the waters? Thinking back to Psalm 93, how nothing except the Lord rides the waters. And so when they see Jesus walking out to them upon the water, what is it, who is declared to be to them except Almighty God? When he is raised up from the dead, the spirit of power, as Paul says in Romans 1.4, it declares plainly, because who else can conquer death but the one who is God? It's a declaration. It's evident in his life. Uh, It was evident not just in his mighty deeds, but even in his holiness. The word overshadowed, uh, it's it's taken from the the manner of the cloud, the the glory that would overshadow the tabernacle. Uh, In Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, the cloud covered or overshadowed the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of congregation because the cloud abode thereon. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And here in the tabernacle of Christ's flesh dwelt the fullness of the Godhead. So that when Jesus speaks of his crucifixion and his resurrection, he can say, destroy this temple. And in three days I will rebuild it. Because it was evident to those with eyes to see, with faith, And trust in God that here dwelt God amongst men. He didn't have to go by the name Emmanuel. People recognized that here was Emmanuel. Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but the Holy Spirit. And this was revealed unto Mary, as she was in her cottage or or wherever she may have been. And she was approached by the angel. So what light does this throw upon our salvation? It's one I've already dealt with. Uh, We see the true nature, well, one I've dealt with and we'll deal with in just a second. But we do see the true nature of our condition and our bondage. We see the true nature of our rupture with the Lord in the way that he has to heal it. The Lord is under no obligation to save sinners. The Lord is under no obligation to save at all except his own will to do so. But having determined to save sinners, the way that he takes is probably the best way, as far as we know, the necessary way. And if it requires God coming in the flesh as a new man to reconcile us unto him, 
And that speaks to what your sins really are. That we oftentimes think lightly of our sins. Now, we think hardly of sins of people out there, those that are rioting, those that are obviously bad, those that I work with, that I just can't stand. Those sins are terrible, but we're not really concerned about those sins. You're not called to be inspectors. You're called to look at the beam in your own eye, the beam that goes down to your heart, and you need to understand that is what caused the Son of Glory to take upon flesh. That this problem that is right here in the heart is a problem that can't be fixed by philosophy. It can't be fixed by good parenting. It can't be fixed by uh, life coaching. It can't be fixed by changing your surroundings. All those may help. All those may be good and real blessings. But to fix it required God to enter into humanity and to take upon himself that which we could not do and to conquer who we could not conquer. Why he came also when the power had completely left Judah, when there was no mistaking who was actually bringing the deliverance. We read in verse 5 that it was when Herod reigned. Herod, who had wiped away the last remnant of the tribe of Judah's power in the Sanhedrin, which was the last little bit of, of rule and sovereignty that Judah held in Judea. And that prophecy that Jacob, that is Israel, gave to his son Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, that is the peace come, unto whom shall be the gathering of the people. But it didn't happen until there was no hope for them to do it themselves. God takes the nothings of this world to do something that our faith and hope might not be in the works of man, but in Christ, who is all things to us. And our salvation again, and we'll say this again and press it home. When he sent a Savior, he didn't just send a prophet, and he didn't just send a priest. Those would be insufficient to the task. And the name that our Savior bears is not one of a priest, nor one of a prophet. It is one of a conqueror. Your salvation, my salvation, is not moral education or reformation, but conquest. There is a devil to be conquered. There is your own rebellious heart to be conquered. And therefore, there is no neutral relationship to Christ Jesus. He is either your Lord and Savior, not just Savior, but Savior as He is your Lord, or, is, or He is your enemy. Be wise now, therefore, ye kings. Be wise, ye rulers of the earth. Kiss the Son while He may be found, lest His anger be kindled against you. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. That's how the second psalm ends. There is either reconciliation to God in Christ Jesus or there is war against God. 
there is no such thing as a civil religion that is a true religion unless it is in Christ Jesus. That also means that in your conflict with sin, peace is treason. If you are fighting sin, you need to understand there is no making peace with that sin. That you can't slack off in that work. It is a conflict. It is, the, is one of the reasons why the resurrection and the eternal life is called a rest. Because in this world, we don't get rest except for a little bit on the Sabbath. But there remains a Sabbath so that we are reminded that we are to enter into our rest in the resurrection. That we fight against the enemies, our enemy, in, in Satan and in sin. Don't forget that your enemy, the devil, is going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy. You have to be aware. You can't slack off in your conflict with sin. It is called spiritual warfare for a reason. It is a conflict. Now, it's not made with swords. You don't pick up a pistol to go fight Satan and go fight sin in your heart, but you have to fight it. And if you make peace with it, you're committing treason against the King of Glory, whose work is to crush Satan under his feet. A work that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 16, a work that he does in us. Now may the Lord crush Satan under your feet shortly by the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's get to it. Our Father and our God, we come before you in the name of our conqueror, of our prophet, priest, and king. And we thank you, dear Lord, that you have sent him to reign forever and ever. And we ask, dear Lord, that he would indeed reign in our heart. That your kingdom would come not only in this world, but in our heart and soul. And that we would do your will, even as the angels do in heaven above. And that we would have, find our deliverance and our faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ. That we would find that his conquest uh, flourishes in our life. We pray, dear Lord, that we would give you all praise, laud, glory, and honor on behalf of him who has subdued us unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.